Chapter 1. Paris, May, 1802. There are parts of my life that I'm proud of, and other parts I don't normally mention. I suppose that my time in revolutionary Paris falls into the second category. The trouble was that too much temptation was put in my path, and if there's one thing I cannot resist, it's temptation. Mind you, I defy any red-blooded man to resist the bounties that were put before me then, and if I'd been some Bible-thumping god-botherer with willpower, well, we could have lost all India. Yes, strange as it seems, those two weeks in France started a chain of events that would see me on the other side of the world, with the fate of the empire in my shaking, sweaty palm. And your hand would be shaking too if you were being bounced from the clutches of a despotic prince to a ruthless female general, facing tigers and the insatiable Mrs. Freeze along the way. It all started in such a trivial way, with a handful of roses. The Tuileries Royal Palace Gardens in Paris had lots of roses. They were apparently Josephine's favourite flower, and so, to keep Napoleon happy, the gardeners planted the finest blooms and to ensure that they looked beautiful when the first consul and his lady came by, there were signs strategically placed around the gardens, forbidding the picking of flowers. I know, because I was deliberately standing in front of one of them, when I suggested to Barclay that his daughters would like nothing better than a bunch of blooms picked by his own fair hand. It was a childish prank, but I was now very fed up with Lord Augustus Barclay, who had spent the last ten days ruining what would have been a very pleasant trip with his daughters, if he'd stayed at home. I was also bored, as flower gardens are not really my thing, and the ladies seemed to want to look at every inch. Barclay must have been fed up too, or he would have ignored the suggestion. Normally, if he could not bet on it or shoot it, then he had little interest in anything. But he pulled out a small fruit knife from his pocket, and was soon cutting through the stems and snapping off thorns to have a bunch of blooms to present. He was being quite industrious, and several Parisians were looking offended at this breach of the rules by a visiting roast beef. I was sure one of them would go off and alert the park wardens. Not that the French normally obey rules themselves, you understand. Unlike the rigidly law-observing Prussians, the French see rules as guidelines for them and compulsory for other people. Soon a couple of agitated park-keepers could be seen in the distance coming our way. Murmuring something about going to look for a different colour, I slipped away, uncovering the sign, and moved out of sight down an avenue of hedges. A minute or so later there was the sound of a heated altercation between the English aristocracy and French officialdom, two forces that rarely back down for anything. I found a gap in the foliage from which I could watch the results of my mischief, and was not disappointed. The park-keepers had tried to confiscate the blooms, and there was a shoving match going on between the parties. Barclay was roaring in English that he was a British lord and a guest of their country, and would do whatever he damn well pleased, while the parkies were jabbering in excited French, and pointing at the sign I'd hitherto been covering. With a bit of luck, Barclay would be called off to the park-keeper's hut and told off for a while, leaving me with some peace and quiet. My thoughts were already turning back to the two redeeming features of Lord Barclay, namely his daughters, Sarah and Louisa. Quite how such a short, fat, permanently bad-tempered cove had sired two such beautiful daughters was beyond me. 
Unfortunately, things escalated rather more than I'd been expecting. As I edged away in the direction I'd last seen the girls, I caught another glimpse of their choleric father through the bushes. Two soldiers had arrived now, but I thought he would probably still have got away with a caution if he'd not hit one of them when they grabbed the Englishman's arm to calm him down. Flailing fists from all parties followed, and credit to the old buffer. He floored a park-keeper before a musket butt in the midriff put him permanently out of the fight. As I disappeared around a final corner, more soldiers were coming, and it looked like it was going to be a night in the cells now for this peer of the realm.